and welcome to the My Hormones, My Health podcast. My name's Laura and I have PMDD. Come with me as I navigate my way through the highs, the lows and the lowers of all things relating to hormones and health. I can't promise that I'll have all the answers, but at the heart of everything I do, I'll be aiming to spread a message of hope that a life with hormone or health issues can be compatible with a life of joy. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the My Hormones, My Health podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Nicole. Nicole is 22. She epitomizes what it is to be a PMDD warrior and she's currently going through chemical menopause. According to IAPMD, chemical menopause is the term given to a type of PMDD treatment whereby ovulation is suppressed and therefore the hormonal fluctuations that cause PMDD symptoms are shut down. But just so you know, this episode does talk about suicidal thoughts, self-harm and infertility, so it might be hard to hear in places. But that's why it's so important that this young voice is heard. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on and joining me today. It's really nice to, to be able to talk with you. Um, so you're very welcome. I was like honoured to be asked. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's good. Good. Um, so the reason I asked you on is because I know on Instagram you are kind of um, a young person with PMDD. That's how you describe yourself. What what does that mean to be a young person with PMDD compared to be compared to just being a person with PMDD? Um, I think it's the pressures that young people face today, um, and then when you add PN PMDT on top of it it's two massive things that you've got to deal with um and I feel like young people are still like discovering themselves but for me anyway my whole growing up has kind of been halted by PMDD so it's a lot more pressure trying to cope with everything um especially like in an education with me it was uni um where it got me the most um is the pressures do you think it's the awareness of it as well because I guess from from my angle I was a young person with PMDD as well at one point but I wasn't aware that I had PMDD then so even though the experience was still there I didn't know it was PMDD so you and I have got quite similar stories in terms of you know like it was really hard at uni but very different as well because I mean I just thought I was just like a bad person and everything else you've got the awareness that it's PMDD but actually that doesn't sound like a luxury that sounds like a a bigger challenge actually it isn't it isn't it is in terms of I can help educate other people and other young people who are going through the same symptoms the same um, to one week every month where they struggle like hell and they don't know what it is and they think they're going mad. I've got the awareness there that I can help them get through it rather than them going, living their like 20s, 30s and going into their 40s and they still have no idea what it is. And then they're looking back when they actually get a diagnosis, it's like, well, why didn't I see that earlier? Why didn't I see that? So yes, it does help, but no, it feels like I'm trapped in an old person's body. That's the only way I can describe it. And the one thing that pops out in my head when I think about coping with PMDD and living it with it as a young person, that I'm trapped in an old person's body. 
which is difficult because I look at all the other young people around me and people on Instagram and people who go on Love Island and like living their lives and they're at their best point in their lives at the 20s. And I'm thinking to myself, why can't I be like that? So it makes it more difficult because I compare to people who don't live with an illness. And I've got to snap back into reality and said, actually, I've got an illness. I've got a chronic illness. I have to just take it easy on myself and say, look, you are going to get through it. It's a journey, but you are going to get through it. Um, And just take every day a step at a time rather than letting it overwhelm you, if that makes any sense. Makes total sense. It's just interesting, isn't it? Like, you're probably going to want to punch me in the face for this. But I always say that if I'd have been diagnosed or even just aware of PMDD earlier, my life would have been easier. Um, And with that line of thinking, really, I guess it's tempting for me to think, oh, it's good that you've got this awareness of PMDD. You know, you're 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 quite young, and you've you've got the rest of your life to now manage it and and sort it out, and you know, do all the things to to make it good again. And actually, that's just not the case by the sounds of it. It isn't. It isn't. Um, it's good that I've become aware now that I'm not living like twenty, thirty years, still not knowing what it is. And then I have my light bulb moment, like so many women do. I've read so many women on support groups that they've only just found out they've got PMDD or um, they've seen like the recent uh, media stories um, about PMDD and it's like a light bulb moment for them. Um, And they're what, 45? So they've lived like 45 years not knowing what they're going through every month. So for me in educating and raising awareness of it I want to do that because I don't want other young people to go what I've I'm going through and to think that they're alone when they're not but then with me being in chemical menopause and then surgery and looming I feel like I'm going through it too young um which is not a nice feeling most of the time because like I said before I look at other people my age and see them living their lives and enjoying their life and getting the most of that uni um and stuff and I can't do that I've put everything on hold until I get my health sorted because I can't live another what 20 odd years with a chronic illness that I'm struggling to control with like medication. Um, it's hard to describe really, but I think that's the best I could describe. And I think everyone experiences PMDD differently, even though we can all relate so much. I, I always get people saying to me, oh, you know, Rachel's episode are related to what she said so much. And we we all have this kind of experience of if you get it, you get it. But at the same time, our symptoms can vary so much and our experiences can vary so much. So what does living with PMDD mean for you? How does it affect your life? Um, it takes up, when I wasn't on chemical menopause, it took up most of my cycle. So it, I had a 
approximate like average 42 day cycle um, which is fairly long my symptoms would start on day 17 and then last until day nine of the next cycle so I had PMDD symptoms all the way through my cycle pretty much um, and when I found out I was progesterone intolerant which um, obviously we'll discuss more once we like start talking about my chemical menopause um, it made sense as to why I was going through the symptoms that long. And for me anyway, um, I know people get either like emotional symptoms or just physical symptoms, um, it's both. So with emotional symptoms, it's um, irritability, anger, panic attacks. Um, the panic attacks have got worse as I've got older as well. Um, and I've had more of them. Mood swings. Um, questioning my sexuality which is more social and um, it's also emotional as well because it can get me really depressed because I know who I am so I'm questioning who I am basically and then physical it's joint and muscle pain so I went through a stage where I couldn't get out of bed um, in the morning because I was too much in pain which people didn't see um, because you try and hide it as much as possible um, when you're at work or at uni but there comes a point where you can't hide it any longer I get quite bloated because it sets off IBS and then that adds to the body dysmorphia which I always struggled as a child anyway with my body image Um, I was quite a chubby kid and then I lost the weight uh, when I went to high school but then with the body dysmorphia and the bloating you don't want to look at yourself in the mirror I never had um, an eating disorder or anything. It was just something that I was always conscious of, especially during that time where I had my symptoms. It was just a horrible time for me to try and fit into clothes or to like feel like I look good in anything. There's, I think they're the main like symptoms for me. There's also obviously being suicidal um, and trying to self-harm. Um, which is difficult to talk about, I'm not going to lie, it's difficult. Um, there was a, I remember second year of uni, I was living with um, three other guys and um, one of them's like my best mate, he's like my brother um, and he's got a best mate as well um, and we all really got on. Um, but there was one um, housemate who just left a mess and we, I was going to cook and the kitchen was a tip. The bin was overflowing. Um, his plates were like stacked up next to the kitchen sink. And I went to go and change the bin. And he'd stacked it up so high that I couldn't get the bin bag out. So I pulled it out from underneath the unit, tried to put a bin bag on it, tried to tip it upside down to get like it in a new bin bag. And it exploded all over the floor. And it triggered an episode. And I went, erratic um screaming breakdown and then I went to go and get a razor out of the bathroom and it took two guys to take it off me and it's episodes like that stick with you no matter how hard you fight fight it off or try and forget about it it always sticks with you and I remember that night 
I was adamant that I was going to use this razor to hurt myself. Um, and I couldn't thank them guys enough for taking that razor off me. I ended up having the breakdown after. Um, and my mum came because um, I went to uni Stoke on Trent. I'm still in Stoke. Um, my mum came from Lancaster, Morecambe area. So it's like a two and a half hour drive. And this was like half 10 at night. She came down. And I was laid on my mate's bed, not being able to speak, not being able to move. And I went home and my mum called like a specialist straight away because it was that was that bad. I thought, this is just it. Um, so that's the most it's impacted me. Um, and the thing was, at the time, I was struggling with uni because of PMDD. I used to get up in the morning. I didn't really want to go in because it was starting to affect my social um, ability in within my year. Um, I started getting um, discluded from everything. Um, I didn't get talked to. Um, I was isolated because people didn't see what I was going through. So I got into like a routine of just waking up, trying my best to go in switching off and try, trying as best I could to not let it affect me when I was in uni, even though it did. And then as soon as I got home, crashing. Um, most of that was hypersomnia um, as well as insomnia as well. I know that's like another physical symptom that people get. Um, and I had it quite badly when I used to go to uni. As soon as I got back at half five, I used to be in bed, have like a four or five hour nap, like half ten, thinking I've just like missed like four or five hours of the day. Um, and then you go still go back to bed and you go to sleep. And you're having like, what, 10, 11, 12 hours of sleep each day, but then finding it hard to get to sleep other days. So it's had a massive impact. I know that was long-winded. Just... I'm sorry. Um no no don't apologize thank you for for sharing that with us I think it's really interesting because I know that people who listen to this podcast in the main a lot a lot of them have PMDD and, and share our kind of understanding and on the experiences and I think for the people who are listening who don't have PMDD but are just listening because they can relate on other levels I think even for them that they're going to listen to what you've just said and go, oh my gosh, like it's it's not just me who's going through this. And I know a big thing for you is kind of, you know, spreading that awareness and letting other people know. But just to reiterate as well, how old are you? Are you 20? I'm 22, but that was when I was, I got formally diagnosed at 20 um, with PMDD. I got diagnosed at 19 with severe PMS um, I had a breakdown over that I went to the doctors they'd given me two lots of combined pills um, they weren't doing anything um, I was actually worse on the second type of pill that they gave me um, so I went back to the doctor and then they started me on antidepressants um, so I started on fluoroxetine and then went on to sotolplam and then there was a appointment where I went I said, look, this is not working. And she said, it's severe PMS and um, that I'm going to be um, 
referring you to a gynecologist. So I went back home to my uni accommodation and I broke down on the stairs and rung my mum. I said, they're referring me to a gynecologist. This is awful. So from then till now, I've got further with it, but it's hard to talk about. And I think the thing is, I want you to come on here and I want you to spread awareness because people don't see what you go through. And you can do as much explaining as you want, but then they don't see the breakdowns or going for a razor or looking in the mirror and feeling fat because you're bloated as hell um, and you're in so much pain that you don't want to exercise um, at all. And even struggling to speak, people don't see that you're struggling to speak and you're struggling to get your words out. And then yeah. when you turn around to them and go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm just struggling to get my words out, they just look at you like, what? I think people don't understand that that's part of PMDD as well. Like it's 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 a symptom and the brain fog is a symptom. Like I think most of the time I, I can laugh it off, you know, when I do something a bit daft. Yeah. I, I do I do a lot of daft things, like really. Um and you know, there's definitely been times when I've been on the phone speaking to someone and I couldn't get my words out and I've had to just laugh because it's it is, it's funny until it's not and I think when you're in a situation where actually you're very aware of you know how you're being perceived or I mean things like job interviews like or I don't know recording a podcast you really want your speech you really do (laughs) and when it goes it can just feel so it feels like a smack in the face it feels like it just really pushes you down and it makes you feel really inferior yeah when actually it's it's not us it's it's part of our condition I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling to speak, the words are there. I just can't physically get them out. And the amount of times, like, my partner's tried to have a conversation with me and I'm in the midst of, like, and it's when I know that my PMDD is, like, here because I just can't physically for, like, the life of me get my words out. I'm like... I'm sorry to laugh. It's just funny because for our, our lovely listeners who are now listening, thinking, "What's happening here?" N- Nicole's doing some great body language over Zoom. <laughs> it's the only way. I'm like, I can't speak, so I'm literally like making the action of slitting my throat and just sticky oh, with my hand and then oh, hand. No, can't speak. Not today. Uh, and you know what I, I can totally relate because like I will just stand there like pulling these stupid faces of like can't get my words out um yeah it's it's the most like it's it feels so debilitating especially if you're just in the middle of a conversation and everything feels quite you know normal and then all of a sudden it's not and I think a big big thing about kind of what you've touched on a little bit is people describe PMDD as something that affects you, you know, two weeks out of every month, you know, kind of typically. But even when PMDD symptoms aren't there, living with PMDD still is. And the, you know, the, the time when you're not experiencing symptoms, you're putting yourself back together. 
or you're worrying when symptoms are going to come back again. PMDD is something that doesn't necessarily show symptoms all the time, but it affects you all the time. And the confidence, like you say, of just knowing that, you know, you're not going to have the same experiences as everyone else or your life is just maybe not how you wanted it to be. That sticks with you. That is a a constant thing. And I can definitely relate to that. It goes from seeing when your symptoms are going to start. That's how I know that they started around day nine of my... Yeah, started day 17 and then went round to day nine of my cycle to trying to pick up the pieces and then living with this constant knowledge that no matter what you do, you're going to have them symptoms. And you can't even pick up, you can't even pick yourself back up. I could not pick myself back up in a week because the effects of PMDD on what, then three, four weeks that I had symptoms, I did too much damage to rectify in a week. And to be fair, the damage was done in terms of people not speaking to me. Um, leaving me out having a reputation at uni because I just there was times where I couldn't go in I didn't go in for two weeks and I came off my antidepressants um I didn't come off him intentionally I didn't have the money to go and get them so I didn't take them for what two weeks and I was bad I couldn't get out of bed I was in pain um I had a panic attack every day for about a week um, so it caused me a reputation that I couldn't, even at the end of third year, I couldn't get back because people had already had an idea that I was lazy and that I'd come into, I did an acting and theatre arts degree. Um, I wanted to, train to wanted to be an actor. I do still want to be an actor um, and playwright. So for me, an essential part of being an actor is learning lines. And with the brain fog and forgetfulness, I could not learn my lines I mean I've always struggled but I just couldn't it was so hard to get them in my head when I was ill and then by the time that week came I either I had to learn them by the start of that week or I didn't have enough time to learn them in that week but then it was always downgraded. My grade was always downgraded because I couldn't learn my lines. So the damage was already done, basically. You can't, and you can't, no matter how hard you try, you can't pick up the pieces. I think, you know, it's as simple as this. It's very hard to get back to a, and I'm using those little speech marky things, I don't know what they're called. Anyone? Quotation things? Inverted? Yeah, yeah, quotation marks. Thank you. Right. Brain fog. Um, (laughs) It's very hard to get back to a normal way of living within a week after having what is essentially some sort of mental breakdown. That's what happens during PMDD, for the likes of me anyway. And, you know, I think you can relate to that. I know not everyone experiences it that way. But how how can you possibly get yourself back to a normal way of living in a week nope. or or two weeks it's you know it's it's 
it's impossible to do that. So I think when people think, oh, well, at least it is only two weeks. And I, I'm very guilty of saying that, you know, at least it's only two weeks, it's not four weeks. What you have for the rest of the time is the re repercussions of that and, and putting yourself back together again. Yep. Which, And I think for me, I just get to the point where I'm kind of like, just getting back to a point where I think, oh, I'm okay. And that's when it hits again. Yeah. You're always scrambling, always scrambling to get get to a kind of sense of normality and a sense of okayness. So yeah, I can relate to that. So you said before about you're now in chemical menopause. And this is something that I think not everybody will understand or know what it is. So yeah. just kind of briefly, what is chemical menopause and why was it the the option for you or the next option for you? Um so chemical menopause is where they pretty much put your ovaries to sleep. Um, I believe it's to do with the pituitary gland um, and shutting that, a part of that off um, to shut the ovaries um, off. And you're basically in menopause. Now, with chemical menopause, um, especially for young people, um, they have to give you um, a combination, they have to give you a, add back HRT, which is some sort of estrogen um, and then some sort of progesterone. Now, with me, um, I started off on Tibolone, um, and that was given to me. I had um, Probstap, so my first um, chemical menopause injection, injection was a, um, a thing called Probstap. I was on my second month, three-monthly injection when I started um, Adback HRT. Started with Tibolone, um, my symptom, my PMDD symptoms came back. Then they changed me to micronized progesterone, which is bioidentical to human progesterone um, and an estrogen patch. And I, I think it was after a week, I started reacting to the micronized progesterone. Um, again, um, PMDD symptoms came back. So, and I was tracking it. And I think the important thing for chemical menopause as well um, is to track your symptoms if you've got any symptoms um some people react really well to add back hrt um others like myself um find out they're highly insensitive sensitive to progesterone um so it's pmdd and then progesterone intolerance on top um great <laughs> yeah um so i was on micronized progesterone every day um for about a month or two so I was ill every single day which was draining um, and then they switched there's a HRT shortage so I got put on the estrogel instead of the patch and I started to I applied it first to my arms so you apply it all the way down your arm um, on the outside and then my gynecologist suggested because I was getting migraines um, to place it on the inner thigh um so I was on two pumps which was equivalent to the 50 dosage that I was on with the patch um I was still getting a few headaches so I reduced it down to one pump um, and just spread it on both thighs and then I had my third injection which it helped but then I was still taking the micronized progesterone so I was still ill and then I had my fourth um I don't know why, but I left it like a month between my third injection and my fourth injection because I thought that I had it a month later than I actually did um, for some reason. 
so I had my fourth injection and my fourth injection went out in about um took about three weeks to run out so I came off chemical menopause and started my periods again and it there was a bit of a gap between my last prostap injection and my first Zodelex injection um in that time I was still taking um the HRT because I didn't know what to do with it to be honest um and then they put me on Zodelex but at that point um surgery wasn't an option because I had headaches and migraines with the estrogel with surgery you need a much higher dosage of estrogen than you do with chemical menopause um but the thing is because obviously I'm young enough still got my uterus they have to give you progesterone to stop you from getting cervical um ovarian cancer um or cancer of the womb but they because I'm progesterone intolerant every type of progesterone they give me I react to which is difficult so at the minute I'm on my second Zodalex injection um, I'm coming up to my third which is in Feb and I'm on a thing called Vagifem um, so it's basically like an estrogen tablet it's the smallest dose of estrogen they can give you um, and I have to pop it up my vagina um, and it'll just stick to the walls of my vagina and then slowly release estrogen um, I have to do it two times a week so I generally do it on a Tuesday and a Friday but that allows me to not take um, progesterone which is good but then it leads to menopause symptoms which can be similar to PMDD symptoms I mean that's something that I wasn't told when I entered chemical menopause um, and a lot of people don't aren't aware of that I think mostly it's to do with the hormone fluctuations because I found that I went without um, estrogen for about a week. So my estrogen levels went like flat down and I had PMDD symptoms. So I think the thing with chemical menopause, you have to be fully knowledgeable. You have to do your research into it before you start the treatment. Um, some people can be amazing with chemical menopause uh, and do really good with it. Other people who find out the progesterone intolerant, for instance, um, they've only got surgery to go down because obviously you need that progesterone if you've still got a womb, but then you can't take it. So it's like, well, there's no really other way to go. So if there's anybody listening who is thinking about chemical menopause, read up on it, do your research, um, ask around, ask other people who have been in chemical menopause or also thinking about chemical menopause um, there's information on the IAPMD website um, there's a whole um, page about chemical menopause um, and the injections that you get um, so just read up and ask your gynecologist um, as many questions as possible um, I was good because my gynecologist is the head of gynecology at my hospital and she's worked with the um, guy who started the tracking system. So she's really, really bloody good. Um, and I know that some people aren't lucky enough um, to get that treatment. So just stick with it if you are finding it difficult to communicate with your GP or consultant. Um, it's always worth um, finding someone else if you don't feel that um, you're being listened to or they're not taking it seriously. 
um, and take it from experience. I My mum paid for two private gynies. The first one told me to go and walk it off in the park in nature. And the second one told me to um, go and Yasmin, which I eventually did as a form of HRT. But then I had to come off it after three weeks because PMDD symptoms said hello. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just do your much research as possible and just go with your gut. I've learned over the past two years, two, three years, that you've got to go with your gut. If you know something's not going to work, try and cope with it as much as possible and then just stop. It's not working. I need to go back to my GP and try something else. I think because it's so not known about and there's not much awareness um, about it and a lot of GPs and consultants don't know a lot about it either. It's really easy to fall into a trap of trusting your gynecologist or GP so much that you follow their lead. You've just got to trust what your body's telling you and what your gut's telling you and just go with it because at the end of the day, it's your body. It's you who's having to cope with it every month. You are going through it. Nobody knows what you're going through. Um, Everybody's different in terms of symptoms. So just, just trust your body and go with your gut. That's really good advice. Thank you for that. And I think, you know, something I always think is that, you know, we should trust the experts, trust the experts. That's that's what we're told, isn't it? But then I, I always think there is nobody who is a better expert in, in your body than you. And it, it's so easy to just go with what the GP says or any other practitioner says, because you kind of think, well, they're the ones with the, you know, the degrees and certificates, but actually... yeah you know you best and it always comes down to that and actually if when I was 22 or 20 or 19 if I'd have had those visits to my GP and I'd have challenged them a bit more or I'd have just asked them to to look into stuff a bit more maybe that's where I'm thinking that you know my life could have been different um I can't go back and change their knowledge, but I could go back and actually change my, my way of working with it and my attitude. And, you know, if I'd have had maybe the assertiveness to, to say to them, actually, yeah. I don't think what you're telling me is, you know, the best option or could we look into this? I think that's only something that I've learned with hindsight. But I think what you've said there is, is great advice because just hearing from you now about chemical menopause makes my head spin a little bit. It makes me think, hang on a minute, what? There's there's so much to think about, so much to consider. Words that, you know, people probably have never heard before. And it, it's it's overwhelming. It, it makes me think, oh my God, there's so much to think about. It's a minefield. So yeah, do your research, read the books, talk to people, listen to what they've got to say, because we're the ones living it. Yeah, I think the the only thing with like talking to other people um, is obviously every treatment works differently for everybody. So I got su- suggested, set, recommended to take Yasmin and I just knew that it wasn't going to work. I just could feel it. It was like the marina coil. So after I had tried the micronized progesterone and the estrogen, my gynae was like, we want you to try the marina coil because it's... Um, localized and then I came off that after about nine days 
I was suicidal um, and I had to have it taken out because it got infected. I just knew that I should have maybe stuck up for myself more and just said, I don't think that's going to work. But at that moment in time, I wanted to try anything just to avoid the inevitable, which looking back on it now, I think it would have got to this point anyway, where if I tried something or not, to be honest. Um, But there's so much in chemical menopause that you don't necessarily understand until you're in it. And I mean, it's a big thing to consider anyway, because I sat there in the gynecologist appointment with my consultant and she was talking about chemical menopause and it was like a blow. I just felt it like, and she was like, well, it's not going to affect your fertility. Um, The only way it's going to affect it is if it was natural anyway. That's one of the biggest fears for people about chemical menopause is it's going to affect your fertility. Um, I got told my, by my consultant that it isn't. If um, if you struggle to conceive after having chemical menopause, then it's most likely going to be, you would have been like that anyway before chemical menopause. Chemical menopause is not, it doesn't affect, as far as I'm aware anyway, and what I've been told. Um, but like I said earlier, just do as much research as possible, especially if you're worried about that side of things. Do your research and just ask your gynecologist so many questions. And if you've got a good gynecologist, they will explain everything to you, um, what's going to happen. Because after I went back after bleeding on my first prostap injection and I was freaking out, I ended up on my first bleed calling an ambulance. They were like, I shouldn't be bleeding, I shouldn't be bleeding. So obviously I informed my gynecologist and she just explained that the way it works you're you're expected to have one or two bleeds because it's not like a full-on shutdown. It takes time to shut everything down. Um, yeah, so just do as much research as possible and just trust your body. Love that. Thank you. Um, you usually as we as we wrap up these episodes, I kind of I ask people to think about advice they would have given to their younger selves or, you know, go back in time 10 years and, you know do some reflection but I think you know there's probably people listening who are older than you maybe older than me I don't know um but still at that point of only just finding out about PMDD and maybe just on the surface of thinking about chemical menopause and and you've already given some great advice for for chemical menopause but for anyone who's feeling like you have feeling alone feeling like life is on hold no matter what age they are what would you say to them don't be scared it's gonna be all right at the end of the day I know I feel like I'm scared um so I tell you I'm scared it's surgery the prospect of surgery is looming I'm 22 and I always thought that I'd have a kid of my own and find someone who I love and just settle down and have a family with them. So to be told that surgery is the only way forward and to come to grips with the fact that you're not going to be able to do what a woman should be able to do is heartbreaking and it's something that I have to come to terms with and I have to live 
every single day with knowing that I'll never be able to have children of my own. But just know that you will get there eventually, no matter what path you choose. So just don't be scared. I know it's scary and you feel like you're on your own and you feel like isolated and you don't know what's going on. You think you're going mad. Just take it that there's other people out there going through the same or similar and just reach out and talk to somebody. Um, it's something that I'd wish I'd done and not held, not have held it back as much as I have done. Um, and even if you do struggle to people, um, do struggle to talk to people, find something that makes you happy and makes you know yourself because at the end of the day, it's you going through the symptoms and you've got to find a way of letting it out, whether it's talking to people. Um, I wrote a monologue um, called Batshit Brenda. Um <laughs> No, it was actually the lecturer who was like, can't you just call it Batshit Brenda? And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, such a great name. <laughs> I know. Um, I used to call my PMD the, the alien because it alienates you, but it's now called Batshit Brenda because of that monologue. Um, so, yeah, I wrote a monologue um, about my journey with PMDD um, and it helped me let it out the frustration, the anger, the sadness, um, the isolation that I was feeling at the time because when I wrote it, because to help me cope with what I was going through, secondly, it was to let people know what I was going through and that it was valid and that they should, I should be listened to and I should be taken seriously. And to get all that, emotion onto a piece of paper and then because I went it was for um, a monologue module so I had to write, write it and then act it and to actually perform it was kind of healed me a bit and made me feel that I am valid and I'm proud to be a woman despite everything that's like thrown at me and because I felt that I didn't want to be a woman and I wanted it out. I wanted to rip it out every single month. But just be proud of who you are and just know that it's it's scary. It's shitting scary. I'm not going to lie, but you will get there. And there'll be a day where you can say, I've got through this. It's made me the person who I am today. And I'm not going to let anybody change that. And don't let anybody say that it, it's not valid, it's not a valid illness. Oh, it's just PMS. I got told by my um my ex um that stop blaming everything on PMS. Ignore it. It'll put doubt in your mind that you don't need, especially with the dark days. So just follow your heart, trust your gut, trust your body. Um and be proud of who you are and be proud to be with uh, uterus and ovaries and fallopian tubes and vagina and cervix and everything else that's been part of being a woman or if you're obviously transgender, um, just be proud of who you are because you will get through it. Um, it's hard, but you'll get there.
feel like after listening to Nicole's story and the advice that she's given, there's not much more that I can add other than just echoing what she had to say. PMDD is scary and you feel like you're on your own and you do feel isolated, but reach out and talk to somebody. PMDD is hard, but going through it alone is harder. If you'd like more information on chemical menopause, progesterone intolerance, or any of the other issues that we've talked about today, Nicole and I both recommend visiting iapmd.org. On my next episode, I'm joined by Steph, a fellow PMDD warrior who's also living with fibromyalgia. This podcast doesn't have paid ads, but I would love to let you know about my other projects. As well as the My Hormones, My Health podcast, I'm taking on clients for my coaching work specialising in PMDD, and I've just launched my latest project, Inspiring Hope Always, with my t-shirt range. You can find out more about all of the work that I'm doing at tiajonescoaching.co.uk or email me at hormonesandhealthoutlook.com. I always love hearing from my listeners. As always, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends or anyone who you think that it might help.